Alright, good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Yeah. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, that was Jeff Belanger introducing us. He's the host here at Odd Fest tonight. Hey guys. Thank you for uh, having us here, having on the bro- live broadcast of Spooky South Coast. We haven't done one of these in a while. It has been a while. Thank you guys for coming. It's awesome to have you guys here and, uh, and, a, and a great event you know, for Toys for Tots. Well, it's awesome, too, that you had us uh, because we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night broadcasting on WBSM and also online at Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and right here in Patriot Bar and Grill in Bellingham. I know. It was very nice of them to uh, let us use the place uh, for free tonight for a great cause. All right. So we'll just... Uh, we'll battle through our sound issues that we always have to deal with i can i'm going to hear you guys over the house sound and i hear my uh my producer back in the studio over this microphone so hey it's you know that's what we do the good news is there's a lot of beer here and um and that'll get us through it my beer is way over there i'll bring it to you hold on just a moment all right thank you all right so uh we are going to be bringing on a whole bunch of special guests over the course of the night and, uh, of course, if you are here at Patriots tonight and you don't get the chance to enjoy the program because, you know, you're busy chatting and drinking and eating delicious wings, the podcast will be up, the uh, Internet Archive, the uh, video archive will be up on YouTube. And, uh, you know, Jeff, this Internet thing, it's worked out pretty well for the paranormal media. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's something that we thought about just about a month ago and we just said, hey, let's do a, a great, great cause. Let's get some toys together. It's something we did last year that was kind of impromptu, which was just, you know, a few emails saying, let's just mm-hmm. get together and bring a toy for Toys for Tots. And this year, look, we got, you know, two huge tables full of toys. Um, and, it, and it was just fun. It's fun to do these things and not have so much pressure of doing lectures and investigations. Just people that we've become friendly with over the years getting together to have a good time and, and hang out with each other. Well, what excites me most about this is you can see how giving our friends in the paranormal field really are. Because when you call on them for any type of charity event, right. you know, they always come through, they always deliver. You know, I, I get lots of emails. People are asking me for autograph books for you know charity events they're doing. I'm sure you, you get the same thing. Uh, or can you plug my charity event on your, your radio show and stuff like that. Um, paranormal groups are doing a lot for charity mm-hmm. all over the country, not just us. It's happening all the time. Historic preservation, um, you know, animal causes, cancer causes, you name it. There are so many groups that are out there doing what they do and saying, how can we make a difference? And uh, that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, we hear about in the news the bad stuff when people are trespassing and things like that. But we don't hear enough about, you know, the millions we're raising for charities. When you look at across the country at all the events and everything else, um, you know, these folks do a lot of good. They're like We're like anybody else. You know, we've got people in our lives who are affected by poverty, affected by cancer, affected by... You know, animal cruelty—you name it—and uh, we do what we can to to raise awareness and raise funds and, and goods for those causes. And 
we, of course, we also have legend trips, which we do a lot for the locations that we go to yep. to help preserve these historic locations. I mean, we've helped pay the heating bill at right. Fort Tabor, and, and we've helped replace some of the floors at the Fearing Tavern. It, that's, that's always been right from the get-go, you know, when we started that. It, the whole idea was, um, you know, we're, we're going to do an investigation. We're going to get people into locations they may not be able to get into on their own. But also, what can we do for these locations? You know, what difference can we make? And we're raising thousands of dollars you know, to help preserve them because these folks, um, and I get it, you know, I mean, I've talked to locations that look at this and say, you know, I don't really believe in the paranormal, but I, I know you do and, and it's brought in some money for us and that helps us continue to do what we do. And I say, look, who cares why people are interested in your location? If they come here for the history, great. If they come here for the ghosts, great. Use that as an opportunity to teach the history. Use that as an opportunity to bring people into the fold because it's that's the whole picture. The whole picture isn't just the history. It isn't just the ghost. It's everything, and uh, and we can serve that cause. And I see some of our legend trippers out there in the crowd tonight. All of our legend trippers, make some noise. Woo! Yeah. yeah. They are awesome, aren't they? And- <laughs> and of course, if I leave here tomorrow, hey, one more one more line, and would have to pay for that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, I think we may have paid our bill for for licensed music at WBSM. <laughs> right. I'm not sure. So, since we have so many legend trippers here tonight, they're probably already on the insider email list, and they've already gotten the pre-sale info for our next event. But maybe we can announce it to the public right here and now. No, let's not do it. Okay, let's. okay. I think we should. You do it. All right. Well, I don't. I'm going to mispronounce it because I always say it's the Houghton Mansion. The Houghton Mansion in North Adams. Weekend in April. I think it's the sixth. We are going to have a a great event. It's going to be a whole weekend, not just one night. We're going to do a Friday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, and Saturday night investigation at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, Massachusetts. People have seen it on the first season of Ghost Adventures, which was a great episode, and it's just an amazing place. It's a Masonic temple. It's uh, it's huge. Uh, So much history there that goes back through you know North Adams history and. um, and, and haunted throughout. It's going to be an amazing event. And I'm, I'm excited because it's the furthest I've traveled in years. No, I well, well, the exception of Wait, going to L.A. And I, we yeah. went to L.A. I mean, we but were on an airplane and everything. It's the furthest I've had to drive in years. All right. So. It, and uh, we're doing this with uh, Ron Kolick from the New England Ghost Project. Ron's here. Great. Ron's here. Yay, Ron. Hello. Let's make some noise for Ron Kolick. Ron Tell Kolek. him hello. Yeah. And... Um, Ron does events all the time, and it's gonna. And Ron will be on soon enough. Yeah, we're gonna bring no, you on a little bit soon. later on in the program. Ron's not too soon. <laughs> right, and, and the whole idea is, you know, just uh, get everybody together, do what we do, and um, you know, for for a great place and, and a great location. All right. Well, if you if you've listened to the show before, again, this is the first time we've ever done it in front of an, an audience this big before. But if you listen to the show, you know that we like to let our hair down a little bit on the program. Well, some of us more than others. Right. But we, we like to kind of keep things loose and, and keep things, you know, conversational. But i got to ask you, Jeff, and I know you don't pay a lot of attention to uh, some of the drama that's been going on in the paranormal field, but i got to ask you about this stuff that's been out the last couple of weeks, about the idea of having to call out locations and, and groups for faking evidence. I just want to get your oh, opinion God, on that. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen a little bit of that. You know, the paranormal unity stuff kind of makes me crazy. I've been against it from the beginning, <laughs> like straight out. Um, I work with people who are good people, you know, just like any field, right? It's not like, hey, we're both dentists. We have to stick together, you know, like, no, there's good dentists. There's bad dentists. Uh, I think the same thing with the paranormal. Uh, I choose to work with people that I've, I've learned to trust. And that doesn't happen, you know, in a, in a one meeting or, or a week or a month. It takes years. I mean, how long have we known each other? You know, it's been years and years mm-hmm. um, where, where you get to trust people and you get to work with them. So I think when we find someone faking evidence, faking things, 
you just got to sever all ties. There's no other option. Like, that's it. You're done. Um, that's how it used to be, and I think that's how it should continue to be. If, if you catch someone straight out faking evidence, uh, lying, whatever, there, there's so many... I don't get it, because there's so many... There's so many good things out there, you know? Like, I know you go on an investigation some nights, and we strike out. We strike out most of the time, right? you know? But that doesn't mean that it's not haunted. It doesn't mean we're bad investigators. It just means that night, nothing happened. Oh, how many times have we all gone fishing and not caught or had a nibble, come back the next day, and you're pulling out, you know, four or five keepers? A bad day of fishing is still better than a good day of work. I mean, it's true. It's it's still true, and it, and it's still true of the paranormal that we we um we keep searching, we keep doing this stuff. Um, but yeah, if if I caught someone faking something, like that's it, you're dead to me. Like right. I, I I will have nothing to do with you, and and that's that, and and that's all I can do. I can't stop people. I can't stand on a soapbox when it comes to someone doing this. All I can do is just say like I'll have nothing to do with you, and and that's it. And and you really can't make it your job to start being. A watchdog for an no. entire group of people because you'll drive yourself crazy. But plus, like you know, there's people that get accused of faking things that aren't faking things. So, you know, that's one of the things you run to, run into as well. I, I, I just know if I see it, you know, that's it. We're done. You, you know, you'll, you'll get no mentions from me, no nothing. Well, hopefully, uh, we can move past that because we we never have any drama. I mean, all of our drama that happens between us is because you know I still owe you a round of beer, <laughs> and we'll fix you know, that later on. Yeah, honestly, it's. Do you still owe me a beer? I do. I'm going to take over as hosting Sco- Spooky South Coast while you run up to the bar and. Uh, I could just give you money too. That works. No, you've been sipping on it, and I don't know where you've been. <laughs> but no, I, I think that um, you know, at the end of the day. We're all interested in the same thing. We want answers. But it's a very individual thing. I know we're collectively doing this, but when it comes to the paranormal, like we have individual reasons for going after mm-hmm. it, for searching, and, and, and I'm finding those answers for me. But that doesn't mean it's going to resonate with you or Matt or, or anybody. Um, you know, I, I, But that's, that's what drives me to it. But I also don't feel the need. And it's funny because... You know, I think of the evidence. You know how many EVP... Ask me. Here's a question. I'm going to ask you to feed me this question. Too. Sure. How many EVP have you captured, Jeff, in your 15-plus years of investigating the paranormal? Jeff, how many EVP have you captured in your 15-plus years of investigating the paranormal? Tim, that is an excellent question. I uh, Thank you for asking it. One. One. And it happened uh, in October of this year. One. I get them never. Just this one time, and I was, and I had ten plus witnesses. We heard this voice come through because I always do it. I, I hit record, I set the thing down, we ask questions, and then play it back right away. So you know, if you play it back a few weeks from now, you're not going to remember that right. a truck drove by or whatever. And we played it back, and everyone in the room went, "Whoa, that didn't happen when we were recorded it." Only one ever, and um, and I just went, "Wow!" I mean, that's really interesting. Well, when you say one, though, have you caught? things over the course of the years that you've thrown out because you couldn't quite make it out? Or is this the first time that it's ever been anything unexplained? I don't do much with EVP. It just doesn't interest me because there's so many things like little sounds or whatever that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, but this was a voice. I mean, it said, it's me. Like a feet, not only a voice, a female voice. Clear as day. Everybody heard it, you know, right away. And I went, all right, that's, I can't deny that. That's something. And, um, and it, it's, it's really interesting. For me, the the most interesting um, paranormal evidence is always the personal experience. Seeing something, hearing something, feeling something when you're out at a location. And that's only happened to me a handful of times in 15 years. But it's enough that makes me think, like, this is for real. Mm-hmm. It happens. Um, for me, it's a very rare thing. And I recognize some people are more sensitive to it than others. But um, 
I, just, I want it to happen again, and that's why I keep doing it. Well, keep uh, hanging out with us. I know I do, and we, I t- against my better judgment, I keep hanging out with you guys. <laughs> I don't know what it is about us. I mean, sooner or later, we're going to get accused of faking this stuff because we seem to have things happen to us whenever yeah. we go out there. But the thing is, we're out there with everybody else. You're you're right there. Yeah, at our right. With, That's know. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like at Fort Tabor, right? I mean, you had a room full of people when it, when it sounded like that whole roof collapsed. Right. And... and uh, we didn't f- look around. You don't believe us? Like you know, go go find the hidden cameras or audio or whatever. And and um, that's stuff you live for. And and it's funny because some people are like, "Wow, well that was an hour ago. What's happening now?" And you're like, "Some of this stuff is once in a lifetime, folks." Exactly. You know, I, I still close my eyes at night and hear that sound sometimes. It, it's cra- it's a crazy capture. Um, and I'm so bummed I wasn't in the actual building, but I was a hundred yards away. You know, when it happened. Um, amazing, amazing. And and we were getting stuff in our location that you were getting in your location. The same uh, female singing sounds were coming through in both spots. Right, yeah. This is all at Fort Tabor in uh, New so Bedford, we're, Mass. We're, we're talking, we were, you know, hundreds of yards away from each other. Yeah, we got to go back to that place. That was uh, cool. My, my spot was active all night. Yeah, people you were in one of the batteries, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I had people walking up and down the halls swearing they're, they're hearing somebody walking right behind them or in front yeah. of them. And we had real-time EVPs that were just... One thing right after another, that, and and no one, only like one group had really investigated there before we did that event, and it went so well. It's it's nice after after an event when they come up to you and they're like, "So you want to come back tomorrow?" You know, yeah. and, you know, uh, it just went well all around. We raised a lot of good money for them, and everybody had a great time. We definitely got to book that place again in 2013, assuming assuming we don't all die December 21st I that this could be it I mean this could be near the end we're, we're making plans for things that might not ever come to fruition I know it almost feels like we should just be at the bar because I mean if we only got like a week left really let's yeah. should we just shut the shut the mics off here and uh, uh, yeah dead well, air for the next hour and a half I, I think we can squeeze in a little bit more show but I was thinking <laughs> about going on the air at December 21st you should 10 to midnight just on spooky TV and, and see what happens my wife's like don't you want to be huddled over in a corner with your wife and son not really. Said, well, we'll be in the same. We'll be in the same house. <laughs> I mean, how how many you know broadcasting opportunities do you get like this? Well, actually, I I think it's the solstice itself, right? The actual time of the solstice is right. the yeah. So it's not just ten to midnight. I don't know where the sol- we're, we're going to Google this in the next break, and we'll figure out uh, where that solstice is. Well, either way, I mean, I'll be broadcasting from my house, so all right, it works for me. You can come over if you want. Sounds good. Will your Will your wife bake those blondies? That she are, will. Have you? Because so I know that you've always wanted to die in Wareham. So I, if I've got a belly full of those blondies, I'd be okay. Those are. <laughs> You'll so already good. be in heaven. <laughs> they are good. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll thank let you get back thank to the to coming. the bar. And, and you're like a real radio show, broadcasting from a bar full of people. It's It's not the first time that it's happened. I think a few others have done it, but it's the first time for us. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So, so we so appreciate cool. you. We should uh, do this again us. and again. I would be happy doing the show from a bar every Saturday night. I, I know there's beer. It's what's better than that? And wings. And wings. So all right. And feel free to check back in with us more if you'd like. Yeah. We're going to have a number of people stopping in during Absolutely. the course of the show. I know your next guest is a big fan. In fact, um, I've I've known him for years, and he's always said like, "Hey, I heard you on Spooky South Coast." And I was like, "Get out of here! No one listens to that show." <laughs> I go down there just to see my buddies, and he goes, "No, no, I heard you." So I'm excited for you to talk to him. And uh, you're going to have to ask him if he's a Ph.D. or an M.D., because I'm still not sure. Hey, it, I've still been waiting to find out, too, about the credentials of Dr. Demento. Right. Well, he's dead. You're gonna, yeah, you I sent him an email, him. and that explains why he hasn't written back. <laughs> right. 
One of the highlights of my career, I had one of my songs played on Dr. Demento's show. Excellent. I did. It was bragging rights for life. And I didn't find out about it until about a year and a half after it happened when I was looking through his archives. And it was uh, an old Christmas thing I did, a redneck Christmas carol. One of my proudest moments. Besides being on Spooky South Coast here tonight. And the other Christmas carol. Right. Do you want to play that? We should uh, later. Another week yeah. we'll play. It. If I have the ability to do three things at once on my computer, right. maybe. Very good. We're, we're, uh, we're working on a wing and a prayer here tonight so I far. Know. So. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You guys right. are awesome. I love you. Enjoy the rest no, of... No, I love you. Love you. Uh, we love you, too. All right. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Odd Thank Fest. You. And everybody out there who is listening on the radio that didn't make it down here tonight... You better be here next year again, provided that the Mayans allow us to do so. Thank you. Thank you to the Mayans. Big fans. And if you if you didn't get a chance to come down here and enjoy the evening with us, you can still make a donation of Toys for Tots. There's places all over that you can drop off a toy for a needy child. You can also drop some off at WBSM as well. They collect toys as well. So, Right on. All right. Don't play with them. Those are for the kids. <laughs> There's just a few that I'm like, you know, I could repackage it. I, I really I brought the Nerf dart set thinking that that was probably going to end up getting opened here tonight by somebody. <laughs> if you get shot by a Nerf bullet, you know it was me. Yeah, exactly. I'm asking for trouble. All right, let's bring on our next guest. Thank you, Jeff. Round of applause for Jeff Belanger, everybody. All right. Our, our next guest, you've seen him on 30-odd minutes and on his own program as well. As Jeff said, he's a big fan of Spooky South Coast. We're glad to finally get him on the show, uh, the one, the only, Dr. Drek. And, and i got to let you know, you're on camera, and you're not Uh-oh. in character. So I'm not incognito tonight. <laughs> but, I have uh, to be myself. That's rather difficult. Well, if you want to be yourself. Maybe uh, if I cover my hand with one eye. And <laughs> well, why don't you let everybody know who you are, really? And, and I am really Michael Ledgey, and uh, I've been around for... Uh, 59 years on Earth, <laughs> and I've been doing, uh, I, I, we may have started your, uh, the radio show and in, in my TV show approximately the same time, 2004, is that about? We're 2006. Oh, so you're, you're a little bit off, yeah. You, you've been around a little bit longer than us? A little us. bit longer than us, yeah. We and, started 2004. Yeah. And when you started portraying, I mean, is the Dr. Dreck character something that you came up with even before there was a TV show, or was he tailored? Because I know that you said you do some theater work. Well, uh, it, it was... Well, like a lot of things, I think why maybe like uh, the way Jeff started thirty odd minutes, it seems like something fun to do. And it was uh, a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And I, I have my uh, girlfriend as the co-host. She's a zombie co-host, not in real life, just on the, <laughs> in the show. She's much more active in real life. Um, but uh, we just we literally do it in the basement. The show, that is. We do it in the basement. Um, and um, we thought, I thought, oh, well, this will be fun for about a year. And here it is eight years later, and we're still doing it. And it gets more and more uh, elaborate as the years go by. It's fun. But, and getting involved in it, was it wanting to recreate? Because you said earlier uh, that you're you know, you a child of the 60s. Yes. And so you were used to seeing these type of shows on UHF channels uh, during your childhood. Was it a desire on your own part to relive that and to be able to bring that out into the world, or did you want that next generation to see what it was that you saw growing up? Uh, well, it, it's a lot like that because, um, like, I, like I was saying, I, was, uh, you know, I, grew, I grew up in the 60s, and I lived in this area all my life. And during that time, uh, you know, there was like just three stations, Channel 7, Channel 5, and Channel 4, and that mm-hmm. was Providence, Channel 12. 
and both of them, uh, Channel 12 had a horror theater on it Friday nights called Chiller, and Channel 7 had Fantasmic Features with this little space alien called Feep, who was really the guy that played Major Mud, Ned Ed McDonald. And uh, so I was, I grew up watching all these great, fun, old B science fiction movies and horror films. I just loved them. And years later, uh, I was reading uh, in a magazine, Scary Monsters is called in the magazine, and I was seeing that all these um, different horror hosts were popping up, but on, on public access, because, you know, stations won't touch them anymore, except right. for Sven Gulli, he's still around. But, um, and I said, you know, look at all these guys doing this. Our, our local station here doesn't have much going on at the time. I said, why don't we do this? And... Um, I got I got her to do it, and we started getting uh, you know public domain it has to be public domain right. movies, or you get in trouble. Um, <laughs> and uh, we started doing that, getting from the Internet Archive and places like that. But there is such a wealth of those films available yes. uh, in the public domain. It's amazing to me that things that I watched growing up on on Creature Double Feature and shows yep. like that are are now out there for anybody to be able to utilize and. I mean, granted, we're not talking about, you know, Oscar winners, but they're still enjoyable films, and they still resonate with people even today. Oh, and a lot, of, a lot of gems have fallen through the cracks. Night of the Living Dead is one of them, mm-hmm. because it, was, uh, it had a different title when they first uh, released it, and then when they changed the title, they forgot to put the copyright on it, and it just fell right into public domain because of that one little mistake. So, uh, and there's a lot of uh, movies that are really old from the 30s that they never renewed the copyright because mm-hmm. that's before 1978. You had to renew it every 28 years. You had two terms of 28 years, and if they didn't renew it in the second 28 years, it was automatically public domain. So there's a lot of them like that floating around too. Oh my God! It's Doctor Crick. <laughs> it's your biggest fan, literally. All six foot three of them. All six foot three. <laughs> so, uh, b- when you are, are calling through the archive, the internet archive, and trying to find more films, and I'm sure you're like me, you know, you go into Walmart and you see those dollar DVDs yep, on there yep, that you know mm. are, are copyright free, you want to grab those up. I mean, uh, it, every time you're going through these, is it like reliving your childhood again? Or are you finding things that you never even knew existed? Uh, well, the thing was that before I started the show, I was already a movie collector. I had like a few hundred DVDs in my collection. And it just happened that a lot of them were the public domain stuff because that's what I liked. Mm-hmm. And so when I started the show, it was, it was easy. So I'm very, it's very rare that I run across some obscurity that, oh, I never saw this before. Um, actually, one of them's coming up this Christmas, though. Um, it's a Roger Corman movie called The Undead, which sounds like it should be a vampire film, but it's actually about reincarnation. I've never seen it before. And so it's going to be fun to watch that for the Christmas show. Now, when, when you started putting these films on your show, I mean, is it a matter of following the template of the horror host before? Of, you know, you introduce the film, and then you run part of it, and then you have a little break and a little cut-in? I mean, how do you find the balance between having your character and, and having the film stand up on its own as well. Because, we, I mean, we live in an age where people want to just, you know, Mystery Science Theater 3000, yep. all of these films. One of the things I was determined to do was have more of a retro type of horror host show. Uh, since I'm a filmmaker myself, I know how easy it is to sit in your living room half-soused and make fun of a movie as you watch it. And I just, uh, I let the movies stand on their own. I mean, I know that a lot of them aren't very good or they're silly or the, but to me they're fun. 
mm-hmm. the worst thing you can be is boring. You know, so I try not to show those movies. <laughs> but usually there's something, even about the even the most outlandish movie will have something going for it in, in some ways. Uh, so I don't make fun of them because I love them. You know, it's I, I just uh, we we all we do is we do little bits, two or three in between, and uh, something related to the film. It, uh, it's amazing too how many of those films, even though they're low budget and you know they they don't really have they don't stand the test of time. But when you look at some of these films, you find shots or, or storylines or things that influence filmmakers down the line. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are what the things that George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Toby Hooper. These are what they watched growing up. Yeah, and, and then mm-hmm. they kind of carry that into their own work in, in, in our more modern era. Yeah, well, Alien, uh, the movie Alien, uh, obviously borrowed from It, the Terror from Beyond Space, which was about a, you know, an alien that was uh, stowaway on board, killing off the crew one by one. And uh, there was uh, another movie called Night of the Blood Beast, and that had uh, an alien impregnated into a man. Yeah. And it was growing within him so if you take those two plot lines you've got alien <laughs> so uh, you know those things come up you know it's uh, it, it is uh, filmmaking is a genre where everybody borrows from everybody yeah, mm. but they have this great word homage that they can throw out there <laughs> that allows you to take it from one to the other <laughs> well look who it is look who it is it's the one and the only Bigfoot <laughs> uh, Dina we found yeah. him hey not Yeti there he is <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to ask a follow-up question after an appearance from Bigfoot. That's right. Yeah. Watch, but uh, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> but I, I do want to ask you though about what you, how you feel about the current state of both horror films and sci-fi films. It seems like the sci-fi films with the CGI effects are, are getting bigger and better, uh, and, and they're to the point where it's almost. It's almost seamless uh, to believe that some of these things are, are really happening. And then the horror films, I think, have kind of taken a step back and, and gone away from the special effects in recent years with films like Paranormal Activity and these more you know, subtle scares. Right, yeah. Um, but the only problem that seems to, I, I think, have arisen over the past few decades is that the, the effects are the movie. You know, they're forgetting story. Mm-hmm. And characters and things like that, and and that, I mean, they're not all like that, but a lot of them are. And I've always had a little of a bit of a, a pet peeve about some of the modern horror films that they seem to always end bad. You're right. <laughs> Everybody gets killed nowadays. You know, I was I was uh, talking to somebody the other day if they remade the Texas Chainsaw Massacre today, she would get killed because in the original she got away, mm-hmm. <laughs> but nowadays she'd get killed and. I mean, it's it's movies. I mean, they might say, "Oh, a happy ending is just so stupid and sappy and cliche," but to me, it's it's you know, it's a story. Real life sucks enough. Right. I mean, why, <laughs> if somebody goes through hell in a horror film, why don't you let somebody live? <laughs> I, I recently spent a weekend watching some of these, uh, you know, demonic possession movies mm-hmm. that have come out: The Devil Inside and The Last Exorcism. Films like this, and it, it, it's what I call the M Night Shyamalan effect, where they all feel like they need to have a twist ending to the point where you're you're robbing the the film. The, the viewer of being able to enjoy the film from beginning to end because you want to have that little twist and they feel cheated by it yeah. at the end. I think that's kind of disillusioning some people. In a lot of a lot of movies I see too, they they look like uh, all right. This is where you should end, but they don't. 
mm-hmm. they go another 20 minutes or so, you know, and then lost it up somehow. Right, and I, I shouldn't actually just blame M. Night Shyamalan. I should blame the Blair Witch Project as well, because they're all following in those footsteps of, the, you know, the, the found footage built movies, yeah, the um, shaky handheld camera, and then, yeah. you know, the kid staring at the wall in the basement at the end. So it's just... That's where it's going, and it's got to it's got to come back. I mean, the golden age of horror, in my opinion, uh, you you had those '30s and '40s films where they they did as much as they could, considering the censorship of the yeah. time, and and then the real golden age after that came in the '70s when they were able to push the envelope a little bit with films like The Yeoman and The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can get back to those days. Yeah, well, that would be a kind of refreshing after a lot of what's gone on over the years, but. Um I, I think what's interesting about the really uh, older ones is that what what was considered crazy then, like mad scientist stuff, isn't crazy anymore. Like there's a an old Boris Karloff movie where he is inventing an artificial heart, mm-hmm. and another one where he's doing cryogenics and he's the mad scientist, but not anymore. You know, so because that's reality. Today. Yeah. And yeah. now that I know a mad scientist in real life, <laughs> well, two now. Well, technically, I'm an angry scientist. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, the crazy label does still apply. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, I think now we're, we're starting to have an appreciation more for those older films. So I'm glad that programs such as yours can bring them back for people. And, and just the fact that you can have fun with television. Yeah. It's, it's become so commercialized in the broadcast networks. Mm. TV's not really fun anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure you know what I mean when I say that. I, I admire uh, anybody that does anything on, on a shoestring. Because then you need ingenuity, you need resourcefulness. Somebody hands you a pile of money, you can do almost anything you want. But you need, you need, if you've got dedication, you don't need all that money. You can, can still turn out something good and decent with pocket change, as far as I'm concerned. But that's how I spend my whole life is on pocket change. So. Well, why don't you let everybody know how they can find Dr. Drek? Of course, it's probably playing on their local cable access station. But uh, Well, yeah, the easiest thing is it does stream over ABM i8. Dot org. In this area, it's uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at 10. But we're also, um, much like uh, 30-odd minutes, we're uh, distributed through Peg Media, and we're in about 30 states or so. So that depends on each individual station. I know you get it in Wareham, but I mm-hmm. have no idea when they show it in Wareham. I don't know. It's really like with random, yeah. With shows such as yours and even thirty odd minutes, it's kind of one of those whenever they need to fill time. Yeah, but, which is great because that's how you find a different audience all the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a lot of times I've gotten fan mail from people that just accidentally found it and they have become fans. I am, I am speaking of thirty odd minutes. Though, I'm, I am proud to say that on Peg Media, thirty odd minutes and Dungeon of Dr. Drake is on the top 50 most downloaded shows. Excellent. So, yeah. But that's the thing. Like When I was a kid, I used to find these movies by falling asleep with the TV on, waking yeah. up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and there's you know uh, House of Dracula, right. you know, a film that never would have been shown any other time. And, and the good thing about programs like yours is being on cable access, you can. It, it's become the new UHF channel. You, know, right. you go yeah. to bed with that channel on because you never know what you're going to find when you wake up in the middle of the night. So. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for joining okay. us and for doing what you do. My pleasure. Everybody, how about a big hand for Dr. Drek? Yeah. All right, we, we, have, uh, we have about 25 minutes left in this hour uh, before we have to take a break for the news down there in the, in the real life section of radio, which is what we call our time to refuel at the bar. Uh, so why don't we bring on Ron Kolick of the New England Ghost Project and, and Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell right here on Spooky South Coast. 
Hello, how you doing? You are awesome. both dressed very festively. Yes, we are. Yeah, we're, we're both very we're naughty. We're very naughty. All right, well, we don't, we don't, it's just a, an honor and a privilege to, to be here with uh, Spooky South Coast because, Absolutely. you know, we're actually one of your friends. If you go on your page and go through the list of 6,000 names on it, you will find our name on there somewhere. Somewhere. In there. somewhere. Uh, the, the trick that we learned a long time ago about building an audience is just accept everybody. That's how I got the audience. That's how I got my co-hosts. Whether you like them or not. No. Just let everybody through the door, and things tend to work so, out. So, Tim, how long have you been doing this, seriously? Uh, since January of 2006. So we're coming up on our seventh anniversary. Ah, oh, right. That's, that's pretty wow. cool. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's seven years of each year saying, eh, this might be the last year that we end up doing this. <laughs> because sooner or later, they're going to catch on that we don't really know what we're doing. But every year we fool them for another 365 days. So I mean, it's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, you guys have been, would you say, 2006? 2006. Yeah. So six years? That, that's funny because um, yes. when I formed uh, my first investigative team, East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, and uh, Penny Dreadful, right. our friend Penny, mm-hmm. pointed me your way, and um, I was supposed to be on your show, and then I couldn't. And I think that must have been when you first started, because I think um, I know in January of that it's year. A long yeah, story. it is a long story. Yeah, it's a Reader's yeah. Digest version, but yes, we all came out about the same time. And, and, it, and it, it is funny how you know a lot of people look back at Ghost Hunters as being the spark in in terms of the media of getting people interested in this, and, and that may hold some truth. But I think that. The wave that came after that has really set the tone for what goes on now. I mean, East Bridgewater's Most Haunted was one of the first cable access shows to actually be out there doing this and be out there investigating and, and, well, and taking that. We did. One of the first. Bigfoot. And we did, yeah. We, we, we had a great little run. Not the first, but no, I don't know. the first. Ghost Project. Well, you want well we don't, we don't cable access? Yes. That's yeah. Where I okay. Well, we didn't. We didn't get your show down our way because right. you know they didn't have Peg Media then to, yeah. to distribute them all. Back then, you had to deliver the tapes to the stations. You have literally Absolutely. had to bicycle now, them. Now yeah. they've at least they've moved up to DVD and download technology, so right. it, it works a lot easier. I had the. Fir- I actually had the first reality ghost hunting show on commercial TV. Really? Yeah. Which was uh, WNDS and what's the matter? My pump. I'm getting you right. That's too bad. Anyways, it was on WNDS, the uh, Weird Al station. Remember him? Mm -hmm. Weird Al. Even then, everyone. Yeah. So uh, that was the first show that was on there. And uh, that show, back then, I used to shoot it on Super VHS. Right. And the station could only carry it on three-quarter inch. Okay. So what they had to do was take the Super VHS, Super VHS, step it down to VHS, and then bring it back up to three quarter inch for the show. So it was like brutal. So the the real question is, why didn't you just get a camera that they could use the film from? Excuse me. Why didn't you just get an easier camera? (laughs) Money. There you go. You you know, uh, Tim, uh, Spooky South Coast went on six years. I mean. If you go on the internet now, there are, there are tons and tons of radio shows, mm-hmm. paranormal ones. And everybody thinks it's just really easy thing to do. And they right. go out there and they start a show. And they don't understand the commitment like you guys have put in and Ghost Chronicles have put into these shows. Because it's not easy getting people every week to, to come in the show. It's not easy for you to go in to do the show yourself. There's a lot of work to it. And, uh, 
you know, I really give you guys kudos for that. And, and so many of the early shows are gone. I mean, right. not that many that are left. And, and likewise for what you do. I mean, I remember listening to your show on, on Ghost Village as, as being one of the foundations of what we were going to do. And we, I tried to listen to as many of them that were out there to see who does it right oh, and who sorry. does it wrong. <laughs> and... And your show is one of the ones that you can hear. They do it right because you don't take it too seriously. You have fun, and you've created a, an environment where people can come forward and, and share information with you and not feel like they're going to be judged for it. And that's something that didn't exist until this current wave of media. I mean, before, if somebody called into Art Bell, they were worried about whether or not their coworkers happened to be listening to Art Bell and hearing them tell that story, not realizing that if your coworkers listening to Art Bell, they're probably into it too. Yeah, right. Right, right. It, it, it's it's more it's a safer environment to, to share our experiences than it was before, and we only get fifty percent raised eyebrows is what we used to get. <laughs> yeah, but but the interesting thing about it is you know people go into these radio shows for the wrong reason nowadays. They're just really in for the fame. You know, they say, right. "Oh, that's all they want." You know, I, yeah, I have a radio show, or um, I've got a book out, and, and and that's it. I mean. You've been helping people for six years, and, and they say, well, how are you helping people? You're talking about subjects that people are leery to talk about, mm-hmm. and, and especially back in the day. Well, you do, you mentioned people thinking that they can just get into this side of the paranormal because they see everybody else doing it, right. and that's true for the entire field. They feel like they can get out there and be investigators because they're watching it on TV and they're saying, oh, well, if, if these plumbers from Rhode Island can do it, so can I. And you've been an investigator long before you were involved in the media aspect of it. Uh, how do you feel about the current wave of new investigators and, and the way that they're approaching what they call the paranormal field? Well, the interesting thing about that is I really can't say anything about it because I'm one of the reasons they're out there, is that through all these years that I've been doing it, I've been running events and everything else, and I've been teaching people how to do it and everything else. Uh, then the TV shows came along. I mean, we, I was out before the TV shows, but then they came along, and they've added to it. So, I mean, the same with you. I mean, we are part of the uh, why these all these groups are out there. They, they see people like you, they see people like me, and, and the, and the uh, Mario Brothers, and... Uh, you know, they, that's why... Uh, well, but, and, and you teach courses in the paranormal, so you must have people that come up to you, and, and they're telling you why they want to do this, but you can tell with some of them. They're into it just because they see it as being their their ticket to fame. They think, if anybody can get out there and do this, then so can I, and I'm going to get a TV show, and you, you can kind of gauge, I'm sure, you know, which ones are in it for the right reasons and which ones aren't. Yeah, I know, and uh, the interesting thing about it is... Is it really the wrong reason? I mean, they're doing it for the thrill of it, or fame, mm-hmm. or depending what particular agenda they have. You know, there are some people who just want to go out there and be scared. And you know that. They go to sure. your events, and they go to my events. They want to, you know, have some experience themselves. They don't really care about what anybody else is. So is that necessarily wrong? No, not necessarily. But it, where it becomes to cross the line is when these people go into... Uh, private homes and stuff, and they start uh, dealing with people who have serious problems, uh, not necessarily yeah. paranormal either. There is a lot of that too. There's, there's, it, it hurts other groups when somebody goes into a private residence and can't conduct themselves in the proper manner. They don't realize that not only are you besmirching the name of your group, but you're also hurting everybody else because 
to the average person, they don't know the difference between New England Ghost Project and some other group or, or you know, some of the different paranormal teams that we have represented here. To them, they, they think that we all work together, and here we do, but in other parts of the country they don't. And, and they think that the way one operates is going to be the, the way another one does, and you're hurting there's there's nothing else i can think of i mean even science you're you know you're uh, uh we'll call you a a i don't want to say you're a fringe scientist necessarily but you don't always think inside the science box it's a science degree right but, but, yeah uh, i i've been working as a scientist for the past 22 years okay mm-hmm. and when i'm working as a um scientist and then trying to explain what my passion is outside of it i get the public look of like what are you doing you, you know you're crazy and and stuff like that the moment you know everybody else is gone individuals come up yeah. so what have you found what do you what can you show me what can you you know they're brave they're brave in the sense when they're in a group you know being skeptical but as individuals like i said time and time again they're curious. They just have the ability to, you know, or the desire to really step beyond and take what it really takes to look. You know, a lot of people, you know, here's a good example. Well, how, there's nothing to this. And my response is, well, how do you know? Well, science has proven this. Okay. Can you show me where that has been documented? And I've asked this of professors and things like that. No, there is no proof. It's it's the eight hundred pound gorilla that's in the room that nobody wants to talk about. You know they don't want to take it on full hand, and uh, because if they did, it would have caused them to have to answer other questions that they don't want to answer and things like that. But you know, when I get into this, one thing I would you know some people don't like to talk about, but I always talked about it. I mean, that was always been media friendly, and and I think that's part of what I do is to educate and. Uh, make people aware that there is something out there we don't understand. But I used to sit on the uh, Harvard Pilgrim Appeals Board, and I sat with you know lawyers, doctors, psychologists, uh, psychiatrists, uh, the lawyer, uh, the heads of the thing. They all knew what I did, and I'd always have to go to the meetings early because they wanted to hear what was going on, what what, what have yeah. I witnessed, what have I experienced, and they only had their own experience as well. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody has a story. Nobody. I mean, they'll deny it until, like you said, Matt, no one else is around. And right. Suddenly, they have a story they need to tell you. Yes. And that happens time and time and time again. And people, when I tell them, you know, what I do, they're totally intrigued. You know, and then it's like, oh, well, can I talk to you? Sure. And it's, it's become less about, oh, I don't believe in that stuff, and more about, well, I have something I'd like to tell you. Let me know what you think. Right. You know, and, and before it was it was so taboo to, to talk about with people, and and now I find I can't, I don't even have to bring it up, and people just seem to yeah. know. You know, like I, I'll go to a yard sale, and, and people <laughs> start telling me what objects are haunted. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you is is um, do you find in the field itself that people have their own uh, opinions on? way things should be done, for instance, and they're more openly criticizing you if you don't go along with it. Right, and that's that's something that we've been dealing with the last few weeks is is the idea that there needs to be uh, one method of doing everything. Does it really? And, and that, that seems to be... 
that seems to be what everybody is preaching, but what they're not realizing is they're all preaching the one way that everybody should do something is the way that they've seen it done on television. You know, they're not picking the brains of somebody who is a scientist or somebody who has been doing this for a long time and saying, gee, what works and what doesn't work? You know, it's all we've got to fall in line because we all have to be like Ghost Hunters, like Ghost Adventures. And, and when you do that, you're pigeonholing yourself, I think, because we get activity and we get results from different types of approaches. So, I mean, I'm not a fan of, of one rules and regulations to follow. There should be some uh, method, you know, some, some, some conduct, guidelines. Some, some guidelines for conduct. But in terms of actually trying to investigate, the more strange the idea, the more I'm willing to give it a shot. Well, that's how things actually advance in science. You have your baseline stuff that you do, your, your normal plotted out SOP, your protocols all written from beginning to end, and what you plan to do and what your theoretical results are going to be. Setting up something like that is fine for people that actually want to follow that type of protocol. And that's all well and good. But as far as I'm concerned, anything that you do that generates data should be utilized. I don't care if it's using a psychic or not using it. You know, microphone, (laughs) technical issues. No, I mean, anything that gives you an extra piece of information is useful. It's all useful. Right. And, you know, so if you want to limit yourself to just this, then you're you're not really doing science. You're just doing stuff that's rote. Well, I mean, and Ron, I know that you work with a number of different devices in your investigation, but you also work with a number of different mediums and psychics, too. You're willing to try all different approaches yourself. Right. I mean... Th- Especially when I first started and I started working with a trance medium, I took a lot of uh, crap. Because, well, I'll say, well, how can you do a scientific approach if there is such a thing as a scientific approach, by the way? Um, and to use a psychic. Well, I consider a psychic is another tool in my toolbox. If I can get more information, why not? I mean, is it proof? No, absolutely not. You know that, and I know that. Because. In reality, we don't even know what a ghost is. Right. I mean, we have our beliefs what they are, but we have no clear proof of what a ghost is. And, and we say, you know, how, how can we accept the word of a medium, or especially a trans medium, as being proof? But at the same time, you have people that will trust in these devices that are being essentially misused because they're not being used for what they were intended for, and they're being reapplied to a different approach. And, and so there's no guarantee that what's coming out of those is right either. I mean, I taught Ann how to douse. I mean, when I first met Ann years ago at Fort Bevere, right? Yes. But, I mean, here's Legendary. An, yeah. Here's an old, old method of, of uh, communicating with the dead. Is it scientific? What is scientific again? What does that word mean, scientific? Mm-hmm. Is it an instrument? Yes, it's an instrument. Is it a, no. Science is application. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. And, and you got to realize that what we do is is field work. It's not laboratory work. Right. I mean, in a, in a real scientific approach, you should have control. We can't do it, that. The way that I like to look at it is with... Look at something like music. You can have people who are the most technically gifted musicians, and they know the mathematical formula for putting together a song. And that might work out great, but it still might not be as good and, and have the same vibe as somebody who just plays from the heart and plays what they feel. And I liken ghosts for people that ask me, you know, how do you study this scientifically? I say that it's a ghost isn't a physical thing. A ghost isn't a verifiable thing. A ghost to me is like an emotion. And you can't really investigate love. 
you can't really investigate hate. You know, you you can only feel them, perceive them, and hope to understand them. And that's the way that I feel that a ghost is. And so that's where I kind of draw. And and I'm the most emotionally shut off person in the world. So the fact that I can even have encounters with ghosts is amazing to me. Although, you know, if you if you prick me, I will bleed. <laughs> So don't get any ideas about second anything sharp for so, me to I make mean, sure. I've seen some of the cool stuff that you guys have caught. I remember the camera moving at uh, Lizzie Borton mm-hmm. House and everything else. So do you consider that as proof of spirit, as a, as a ghost, as a spirit of someone? Or is, what, what, what do well, you, I was going to say, I'll let you handle that because it's, oh, you it's your footage. Uh, what it shows to me is it shows that there is a force at work. Do I understand what that force is? No. I, it, it's just a piece of data that lends uh, basically a, a point towards it being some form of force that's measurable. I know that that camera weighs this much. I know that it takes this mu- many you know pounds of Newton force to move it this far at this speed, which means that there's so much any energy that's applied. What generated that energy to move it and whatever... That's that's further on down the line for me. I'm still just trying to establish the fact that there's a force that's being applied here. Okay. Then once we start measuring it, then we might be able to start figuring out what force it is. Or force is. It may be more than one. Yeah, if we can. But the first part is establishing, okay, there is something here. And with that footage, to me, it shows that that something existed there to move it. Some some force. Uh, We know for a fact that it wasn't any other force emitted by any of us. It moved on its own accord. What force used it to, to move on its own accord, that's what we're there to keep looking at. I, I've kind of made the decision that I know that this stuff exists, I know that it's there, and no matter what I do and what I catch, I'm not going to be able to prove it to somebody that doesn't believe. And so... For me, all it is is just to keep keep reassuring to me that there is something else there. And I'm not looking at it necessarily as proof of the existence of the paranormal. I'm just looking at it as a way to kind of almost quantify how far we can push the paranormal. You know, if you can move the camera, then what else can you do? How can we gauge what your level is of interaction with our world? And if that's the case, can we make it so that it can happen more easily can we make it so that the person that does have a skeptic approach to it can have their own experience and, and have their mind changed and to me there's no you're never going to catch what the you know the holy grail that everybody says they're looking for it's never going to happen because so many people are just fundamentally opposed to the idea of the existence of ghosts anyway you're talking about one of the only things out there that affects people's scientific beliefs affects their religious beliefs and affects their personal own emotional beliefs so you know if, if to me yes the camera was moved by something that I couldn't see and, and a presence that I knew was there but I'm not going to expect somebody else to buy it if they weren't there to see it themselves you know what's interesting Tim is that um, I'm like you I, I would like to get something that would be really positive proof or something but it's so interesting. I mean, I, I'm, I'm open-minded to, to find that and to achieve it. Yet, when someone sends me a picture, and this this happened to me, and someone sent me a picture, I said, I've got this picture of a ghost. Can you see it? And I look at it, and I don't see anything. And she says, the little girl. The little girl was not there in the picture. All right, I'm looking at a picture, and there's a little girl. 
So what if this was the holy grail of thing? What if this really was a ghost? I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't really verify it one way or the other. To me, even though I'm open-minded and want to believe in it, I still can't accept that this little girl was a ghost because I wasn't there. I don't have a second and I still have that skepticism in my mind. The only thing we can offer to them is what might be creating false positives, and then they don't want to hear it. Right. You know, so it's like, no, 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 I don't have a strap on my camera. Like, I know what a camera strap looks like, lady. That's a camera strap. But right. anyway. I mean, that's like a camera strap. But, I mean, if we're talking like a full apparition, right. three-dimensional, I mean, it's a little difficult. Like, you know, first thing I looked for was the shadow, which I couldn't see. So. And then you have to go through the ghost apps and yeah. see all the different yeah. ghosts that they well, have this, stored this in there. before then, but when it first came out. But the, the other, you know, the thing, I, I teach a, a course in um, paranormal CSI at Northern Essex Community College, right? And, and I've taken some cra- some crap for it because I do it. But nobody really looked at it to understand what the course is about. Uh, basically, we have a six-week course. We go into a haunted location. I teach you how to use the equipment we have. All right? Right. I'm not verifying the equipment or say, uh, legitimizing the equipment. I'm just saying, this is the equipment they use. Okay. And what you have to do is go through it and collect evidence and then analyze the evidence and tell me who haunts the place, why you think it haunts it, what evidence you have to collect. So we do it as a, as the individually and then as a class. And so it's to teach people how to understand using CSI techniques to a, a thing that's it's difficult to even talk about. I mean... Well, I mean, it sounds like a, a very good approach to taking it. And, and you're not showing people... Uh, one way either you're you're just giving people the footprint amazing and now, uh, you know, Matt just show me a photograph it's it's two uh, people with a guy in the, in the, the, thing, right, the guy in the middle was not there when the photograph was no, taken no, this is Bunratty Castle in uh, Ireland did you take that picture no I know the person individual this is what I mean people that are know me in my laboratory know I'm into this stuff and this is another guy that repairs instruments similar to like what I work with and stuff like that and somebody told me that uh, this guy wants to show me something because the word got around that you know, a minute, I do, Matt. that I do this stuff and uh, he's like here I I want to show you this this is what I found we, this is that's what I mean people you know come up out of the woodwork all right, so, and of course, Ghost Chronicles, uh, people can listen to it online. Uh, we want to give everybody the information. We have about 30 seconds. Uh, we're on uh, toginet.com. Parax. Parax. Ghost Channel. And the Ghost Channel and beyond. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we also do uh, Ghost Chronicles Modern Edition on WCCM as well. So thank you, Tim. Thank you. All right, Ron. thank you, Ron Kolick and Ann Kerrigan. We are going to take a break now for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll have more Spooky South Coast live from Patriots Bar and Grill in Bellingham at Odd Fest 2012. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Yeah. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast here from Patriots Bar and Grill in Bellingham, Odd Fest 2012. Yeah. That's a crowd that's been drinking, if there ever was one. And now we are here, of course, for Oddfest 2012. 30-odd uh, minutes is putting it on. Jeff Belanger and his group of oddballs, which, of course, Matt Moniz is one of the oddballs. And uh, which which out of all of the oddballs on the show, I mean? That would be me. Okay. That's what I would have assumed, too. So uh, we are going to uh, keep going here with our, our format here, bringing in some of the guests 
that are uh, here at Oddfest, and I want to say hi to everybody out there that came out for this. And I see so many of our friends out there, and I see some of our enemies as well. But speaking one of our surprise out for me, huh? Speaking of friends, we're joined by one of our good friends, Carl Johnson. Yes, and, uh, here. and Glad Carl, to be you did here. a great job reading the Raven on on the thirty odd minutes. Thank you very much. It's impossible for me to read the Raven without without becoming involved in it. You know, I feel it at the time. And you, of course, have been uh, studying literature for probably your entire life, right? Uh, yes, I have actually. I've always been, uh, you know, a fan of Edgar Allan Poe, and I know Edgar Allan Poe lived in Providence for some time. Yeah. I don't think I'll be the only one to recite the Raven publicly, Matt Moniz. You know, he and I rehearsed that once at the Lad Observatory. Yeah, we've been known to, you know, belt it out once or twice. Yeah, and, we'll manage. And of course, uh, you're also known for your work with H.P. Lovecraft as well. Oh yes, we. I um, I am the director and founder of the H.P. Lovecraft Commemorative Activities Committee, which exists for about two weeks during the year at different times in August and in March. And I present an annual uh, public literary tribute to H.P. Lovecraft. That's usually staged at the actually at the Lad Observatory. Although H.P. Lovecraft did go into the Providence Athenaeum, uh, he could not afford the membership dues, so he was never a member of the Providence Athenaeum. But he did frequent Lad Observatory in his teen years. So we staged the H.P. Lovecraft uh, literary tribute. It's called the H.P. Lovecraft Service of Tribute at Lad Observatory either in late March or early April. And I think that there's been a real... uh a refocusing on the works of Lovecraft in, in the years recently because I think as people are, are going more toward with the ebooks yes. and and they're finding more of his work that way because you can download his entire library and it doesn't cost anything. I mean, the, most people are able to get it as a free download and they're rediscovering his works. Love, you're correct, Tim. Lovecraft is more accessible to people now. Um, 25, 30 years ago, to reach Lovecraft, you had to go to the library. Uh, usually, somebody had to look around for works of H.P. Lovecraft, or you found paper books, paperback books. Uh, now, H.P. Lovecraft is out there. You can, you know, through e-books, read his works, and he has a whole new legion of fans of interest in H.P. Lovecraft. It seems on the rise, and we're talking 75 years, 76 years uh, next year after his departure. So, there's going to be an event held in Providence from August 23rd to August 25th, 2013, called Necronomicon. That is going to be held in the Providence Biltmore Hotel, the Omni Biltmore. And already a lot of reservations have come in for this event. So, interestingly, Lovecraft's popularity is on the rise. And as you point out, I think it's because he's more accessible, more people are discovering H.P. Lovecraft, Howard Phillips Lovecraft, who lived most of his life in Providence, Rhode Island. Apart from a two-year stint in Brooklyn, New York, when he was married, once that marriage was dissolved, he returned to his beloved Providence. He was like a homesick boy. He wanted to return to Providence. In fact, on H.P. Lovecraft's headstone in Swan Point Cemetery, his only epitaph, besides the dates of his birth and death, are, I am Providence. A quote from one of H.P. Lovecraft's letters, I am Providence, because he identified with his home city. And, and, of course, you mentioned the, the Providence Biltmore and, and that event that you were talking about, Necromon- Necromonica. i got to start pronouncing it so that I get it right to pr- help promote it. But 
<laughs> now, but that lo- that hotel is said to be haunted too. I, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to check out any of the stories from there, but uh, I've, I've heard some stories over the years from people that have stayed there that said that you know some of them said they won't go back, and some of them said they can't wait to go back. But it's all in relation to the ghostly activity there. In the hallways and the corridors of the Biltmore Hotel, uh, a man in in somewhat old-fashioned attire, but he looks so solid and so normal that uh, people wonder where he went. They turn around and he's gone. Uh, That's the spirit that's in in Biltmore Hotel. And there are so many old structures in Providence that that have their resident ghost. The Providence Athenaeum Library has Edgar Allan Poe sitting out on the front steps. More than a few people have attested to seeing the shade of Edgar Allan Poe sitting on the front steps of the Providence Athenaeum. What's interesting is that their stories are so consistent, and different people at different times report seeing Edgar Allan Poe. They're recognized from portraits on the steps of the name. Biltmore has that shade, the apparition of a man. Um, I could go on. They're just... uh, H.P. Lovecraft seems to haunt the Ladd Observatory up on Hope Street, the corner of Hope and Doyle Street, Doyle Avenue. Um, when H.P. Lovecraft is mentioned, sometimes noises sound, things go clanging. Uh, you could get some results if you mention the name of H.P. Lovecraft at Ladd Observatory. And as I mentioned a minute ago, that's where H.P. Lovecraft used to uh, spend some time. As a teenager, he would bicycle up from Wayland Square and uh, observe the, mo- the movements of the stars and the planets uh, through the giant telescope. They have a 12-inch refractor telescope built in 1891, housed in Ladd Observatory. That's where H.P. Lovecraft studied the stars looking through the lens of that telescope, and it's still there. Wow. And, of course, speaking of historic locations around Rhode Island and, and some of the haunts, you're known for your work at Slater Mill, and you were there for our event that we had there last uh, last April. And still to this day, I'm hearing from people coming back and, and talking about the experiences that they had there. It must be great for you to be there all the time with the ghost tours that go through and, and just the regular people, regular tours coming through uh, to see people being able to have those experiences again and again. Well, I work in the tourism industry, so it's, uh, it's seasonal. Right now we're in the, uh, the slow season, but I feel myself so fortunate to work at a place, I have access to a site that is known for having haunted activity. And this preceded my time at Slater Mill. Wednesday before last, I was overseeing the mill while the Weaver's Guild was having a function upstairs in Slater Mill. And a lady told me she'd like to wait downstairs. And I said, oh, I know it's kind of spooky upstairs, just joking with her. And she told me, oh, I know about that. My daughter had an experience 12 years ago when she was in high school. She told me that her daughter saw the little girl in the old house, the Sylvanus Brown House, which is the 1758 cottage on the grounds. So people were seeing the little girl way before I started at Slater Mill six and a half years ago. And yes, of course, I vividly remember the event of uh, April 21st this year. And even tonight, people have come up to me and told me some of their experience they had there that evening. heard the laughter of the little girl in the Sylvanus Brown House and experiences in the two mills, the other two buildings on the site. It's, uh, it keeps it interesting. It's a fascinating place to work. And it seems like, and you're, of course, there all the time when there's nobody else around. Often. And, and you get to have the place to yourself. And uh, yeah. do, do you still investigate there, or, or do you kind of I, just... 
Have I you made up, such yeah. a close relationship with the spirits there that it's it's? it's oh, I built up kind of a rapport with them. They don't always answer me, but I've got to say it's still a little spooky when I'm there alone. It's 11 p.m., 12 a.m., and uh, I'm locking up, and I have to go through the rooms to make sure all the doors are secured and lights are off. And when you see that red exit sign gleaming on the reflected on the boards of the uh, floor, it's it's kind of eerie being there still. This past February, I was closing up that cottage, the Sylvanus Brownhouse, named for one of the owners of the house. And just as I was about to enter my code into the panel for the motion sensor, uh, I opened up the panel and was was just about to put my code into the LED screen, and I heard two stops, two footfalls, about four feet away from me. And I said to myself out loud, because it was comforting, I talked to myself there. I said, I want to see something. I'm not sure I want to see it just now. But I did look. I didn't see anyone. Uh, that's no rodent. Those were two heavy footfalls right next to me. And that's pretty much commonplace at Slater Mill. Virtually all those employed or have been employed at Slater Mill have some kind of unexplained encounter of the sort. I have heard disembodied voices there so often that I recognize some of them. Now, it doesn't happen every day, but I'll tell you quickly about one instance there. We had been in a lull in 2010. There was no reports of paranormal activity for two months, which is a long time for Slater Mill site. Then one of my colleagues, Jay, who gives tours there and does maintenance, he was vacuuming upstairs in Slater Mill site, actually in the Slater Mill building proper, and he had moved some dress for in the 1940s out of his way to vacuum. He did some vacuum. When he turned around, those eight dress forms had moved in around him in a semicircle. That's about the eerie story I remember, yeah, Slater Mill. If you see these headless dress forms, you know why that would be eerie. But they had moved their way silently around him when he turned around. Wow. So, uh, yeah, then the, the paranormal activity had come back. Then I was giving a tour that May... In the Sylvanus Brown House, we heard some thumping and footsteps in the upstairs when I was downstairs in the kitchen area. I said to our tourist, excuse me, folks, I have to check that out. Went upstairs, the door was secure, nobody was up there, so I said to myself, yes, it's come back. There can be lulls. I don't know what steps up the paranormal activity at Slater Mill site. I don't know why there are lulls, and then it comes back. But it's never away for too long. It's such a perfect location to have activity happen because you've got the history of the site. Yes. You've got all that field stone uh, that's been right. brought in that, that can help hold in the activity. You've got the running water right there from the river. I mean, it's if any place is going to be haunted, it's the Slater Mill site. Yes. Ultimately, we don't know why some sites that seem like they should be haunted apparently aren't. Others are. But there is a confluence of factors with Slater Mill site. Uh, we're next to the Blackstone River. The Blackstone River has a high mineral content. Combined with the constant flow of rushing water, that generates a low-grade electric charge. It's up on a hill, so we're visited by a lot of storms. So there's a lot of electrostatic activity in the very atmosphere. The history of the site. Many people toiled in those mills through the years, and obviously there were egregious injuries because all the workings of the machines, the saw blades, the drill bits are all out in the open without any real safety measures at the time. This was before we had TDI or workman's compensation insurance. In fact, that's why those uh, safety practices were engendered because people were getting hurt in the mills so frequently. 
So, yeah, you've got the history there, uh, a lot of industry, people toiling from sunup to sundown in these mills, rigidly timed work shifts, the accidents, the, the geographic properties. So, yeah, I would be surprised if Slater Mill wasn't haunted. Right. I had no idea when I started there that it was haunted. I've been working there about three weeks. I was sweeping it up in Slater Mill Museum. I heard footsteps up above me walking back and forth. Didn't think anything of it. So before I left that day, I went upstairs to the upper level in Slater Mill to say good afternoon to whoever was still up there. Nobody was up there. Then I learned I wasn't the only one having those experiences. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Carl Johnson, everybody. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Love to read The Raven again. In fact, I'll do a tandem reading with Matt Moniz. Excellent. Nevermore. Thank you so much, Tim <laughs> and Matt. And, uh, it, you know, you can tell Moniz, too, when the, the live audience has gotten to the point here where, the you know, the, the wings and the beer become more important than the, the stage entertainment here. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> seems to be uh, paying attention anymore. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out, Carl. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I'll turn I, the com over to someone else. <laughs> Someone just as worthy, at least. Well, Moniz, uh, I want to ask you here, uh, before we get into our, our next guest, uh, I referenced a little bit earlier in the show when we were talking with Jeff about all this controversy that's been going on over the last couple of weeks, and we've been covering it over the last few weeks. And does it seem like... Uh, we'll go we'll go with them, and then we'll grab Don afterwards, if that works. Okay. And uh, there's, there's been so much unnecessary, and I hate to keep using the word drama happening, but... Uh, it seems like each week that goes by, there's more and more fallout from it. Heard anything from anyone coming to you with information or, or, or proof of, of a faking of a haunting? I, I get asked. Just, yeah, just throw that one in. Hopefully that works. I think that microphone works. Here we go. Yay. There we go. Hey, and we have audio. So people people usually give you that kind of information anyway? Uh, usually people, uh, when they talk to me, they talk to me about old photos. Could this have been faked? Could that have been faked? And um, But when it comes to, to new stuff, no, I, I try and stay away from that because when you get into that, you're getting into, you know, a lot of times opinion, you know. I, it's only my opinion if I think it is or isn't. Right. I wasn't there, so. But I mean, if people come forward to you and been like, "Hey, I want to let you in on some information about, you know, such and such person or group or location," you know, actively faking things. I haven't had anybody come up to me in a while and talk about it, mainly because I, 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 I try to avoid it. Probably got three different emails this week from people, and I said, "You know, not my job. I appreciate you wanting to share the information. Not my job." So, eh, it does happen. Well, we'd like to mention, mention welcome. You can tell I've had a few beers, too. <laughs> like to welcome two of our friends here. We have uh, Tina Storer and Rachel Hoffman from Paranormal Expeditions. They are joining us back on Spooky South Coast. I remember now, when you were last on with us, it was your first time doing a radio interview, and you were new to this whole paranormal media thing. And now look at you guys. You, you guys are all over the place. Things have been going really well for you. They have. I remember being so scared the first time. It was back in 2010. I was like, oh, my God, don't quiz me on anything. Like, yeah, I, I told Tina, if she waited for more than seven seconds, I'll, I'll jump in there for you. Don't worry. I'm <laughs> nervous. <laughs> well, we really appreciated all of the uh, 
the goodies you brought with you. That, <laughs> yeah, that was, posters, champagne, whatnot, you, you know, all kinds of craziness. Go, if you go back and listen to that show, you can't even tell that you were nervous. I mean, you guys sounded like seasoned pros the first time out, and, and it's only been better and better for you because I've, no, I've noticed now. How many uh, episodes of your show have you had now? Countless. <laughs> I would say, um, yeah, pretty much. 26, yeah, I think it was online, yeah. I think right around there, but we've done hundreds of episodes at this point um, that, that have been undisclosed, yeah, and just as much fun. I like the uh, the topic that you guys were just talking about, actually. Um, you know, people turning in evidence that isn't necessarily valid to the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you have you encountered some of that in your experiences lately? I think we have. I get a lot of people sending me things that I know are fake. I just I try not to tell them it's fake. I'm just like, it kind of looks like a ghost app on an iPhone, yeah. but it's real. Good catch, you know. But I try not to get into that drama. Yeah, you don't want to discount someone's like personal experience ever. You don't want to say like, oh no, you didn't feel that, you didn't see that, you didn't hear that. But um, a lot of people are trying to pass it off to make themselves, I think, more valid in the yeah. community. And that's a shame. That's where I feel it, like it's, you know. It is. They feel like they need to, if they're getting involved in this, they need to come out of the gate making a name for themselves right away and not realizing that you're you're tainting your entire career as an investigator if that's the way that you come out. But yeah. now, And you, you guys are out there doing events now. And I see pictures from when you go to conventions and print haunted events at locations. So you must have people coming up to you all the time and, and asking you, you know, what's the best way to capture authentic evidence? And really, I mean, what can you tell them? There's there's no way or wrong way. No. That's what I love about this field is there is no set rules to this paranormal field. It's unbelievable. We're People are constantly pushing the limits, thinking of new ideas, new techniques. We try something different every time, and we get a different outcome every single time. Yeah. Not without ridicule. Exactly. <laughs> no, definitely some of our methods, some of our ways of dress, some of our manners of dress, it, it's not for everyone, you know, but I feel like we get some pretty damn good evidence from the things that we do. What does what you wear have to do with how That's you get what evidence? I'm like, when did looks ever matter in the paranormal? But I guess apparently now they do. I guess you can't wear high heel or lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I still wear mine. I know. Exactly. Well, that's because I'm five foot nothing, so I have to. You look fabulous any costume that you wear. <laughs> yeah. well, I hope you're not implying that I was Santa Claus earlier because that wasn't me. I couldn't even believe. No, I was. I had to run a radio shack and get some so parts for the show. To meet Santa today I'm sorry that I missed him. Me too. I cry every time. I'm glad that we got a few pictures, you know. Yeah. That's on the Easter bunnies back there, too. So. You did mention the controversy, though. There, there has been some controversy with you guys, and and for the way, I mean, when you're coming into this field, you want to make that name for yourself, and I think that you've been able to do it in a way that is, it doesn't sell short what you do as investigators. People may question the, you know, like you mentioned, the clothes that you wear, but they don't understand. That's who you are. You know, you're not gonna go you I, I mean I only see you guys at things like this but I, I can't imagine that you're somebody that goes out all the time in a t-shirt and sweats you know you seem to be people that enjoy fashion and you're gonna bring that with you into what you do in the paranormal yeah we don't and, like to go outside the box you know not not be not have the rules in the paranormal like I said where we like to defy every odd and we love fashion I'm, I've always been a girly girl 
never going to change. Just because. And, and you've tried to create things, clothes and accessories for female ghost hunters to use. And I'm sure that you've had people come up to you and thank you for that. Like, hey, thanks that I don't have to go into every investigation wearing the same black T-shirt with a logo on it, carrying a backpack. You know, you found a way to make it so that they can retain some of their identity and still be in this field. Yeah, we like to make it kind of matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you like the black T-shirt or not, it shouldn't even matter as long as you're having fun or getting right. evidence to back it up. And I, I, even people that do investigations naked, I can't even say <laughs> that. I disagree. And honestly, as females in the paranormal who have endured an entire amount of ridicule for the the entire amount of time that we've been present in the paranormal, um, to see these men kind of reaching out and going out and going topless... Um, and conjuring up their own kind of evidence. We're not back here judging. We're sitting back saying, you know, uh, we were that, you know. I think it all depends on your intent. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go out, the, out there in like a sexy nurse uniform, trying to get, you know, the controversy and just to do it just for the attention, that's a lot different than going in somewhere and wearing a cute sailor hat or maybe having like a or, um, little unbirthday tea party and trying to conjure up some evidence. I think your intent definitely matters when it comes to that. But there, there is the other side of the coin, though, where people will say we are dealing with the deceased and that we need to have some modicum of respect for them. And I know that, of course, your, your graveyard shoot, for example, is something that caused a lot of controversy. But what, I don't know. The way that I see it is you're just getting eyes on what it is that you do as investigators. The same way that you know we have been for the last couple of weeks talking about this drama and this controversy in the paranormal field because we know that it gets ears listening to our show. And you're just finding a way to get what it is that you do seen or heard. And there's, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. And you guys do great work. And if you watch some of the episodes of the PXP show or if you go out there and investigate with the girls, you can see firsthand that you do take a different approach. I mean, you're not following along with what everybody else is doing on the TV shows and you're not following along with what the current trend is in investigating, you're taking chances. And I think that's why you get such unique evidence. And I think, too, the fact that it's the female dynamic, I I do notice that you encounter a lot of female spirits or aggressive male spirits. And I think that those are both related to the fact that, you know, you are women, but at the same time, you're not backing down from any of this stuff either. Yeah, and it brings a lot, I think, to the table when you're dealing with motherhood, sisterhood of the paranormal and bringing females into places predominantly occupied by men Yeah, in their physical state. I think also the female essence might be more welcoming sometimes mm-hmm. to the spirits. Uh, they're people too. Maybe sometimes people feel more comfortable talking to a, a woman or a man or maybe children find that motherness and certain people. And maybe our pheromones are read a little bit differently yeah. and we're able to bridge that gap, you know? Not to say that men aren't great, because they are <laughs> fabulous, because you guys I, are. I find that most men in the paranormal have trouble talking to women anyway, so, you know, if they can have a, a female investigator helping them out, maybe they can talk to these female spirits a little more easily. Now, in, in the time that you've been doing this, though, what would you say is probably the most profound experience that each of you have had? there I learned something new um, I definitely almost like I've changed my whole point of view throughout the, the past couple of years the most profound I don't know that's a hard question Good I know question. It, yeah it is a question. <laughs> um, do you have any I think all in all it's all profound to me every time yeah. that we go out there it's a brand new experience yeah. it's, a, it's a new chance it's a new opportunity to try something different mm-hmm. and right now we are definitely challenging ourselves with um, 
with trying new things, new age and old age. We don't yeah. want to just be known as the girls that depend on those scientific, cold, hard pieces of equipment. Yeah, using the alternative forms and having the science back it up for you. It's kind of a fun thing to try out right now. We like feelings and emotions because <laughs> we're girls. No? It's not just that. It's like it, it's a little bit of both. It's a, a little bit of the cold, hard science and a little bit of the... Yep. Feelings and emotions that come with being a woman. It's a little bit country. It's a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but the more bases that you can have covered, the, then the better results that you can get. Everyone can relate to it. A little bit of something for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So what's coming up for PXP in 2013? Hopefully big things. <laughs> um, we actually both have books coming out. Um, I have the um, Undissolved Matters, the Physical Properties of the Afterlife. Um, it's kind of a dynamic for me that allows you to kind of bridge the gap um, in biology between human beings and ghostly beings and um, learning that there's a sound base in biology for both of them and comparable DNA to prove that we are who we are in this life and the life beyond. And Tina has a little something special for you all. Mine's kind of starting off more as a blog or something. I haven't really put all my time and effort into it yet, but it's something called Ghosts and Glitter. You know, there's nothing wrong with loving being girly and being into the paranormal. So it's kind of showing that. Or David Bowie. Exactly. Yeah, David Bowie. <laughs> my sister being had a David Bowie haircut man. last year. <laughs> yeah, I want to start featuring you know, strong females and basically saying, like, you know, F you to everyone. Like, this is who I am. And you're going to have to accept that. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with loving ghosts and glitter. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody can follow along with you on Facebook and Twitter to, to follow your adventures and, yes, and find out where you'll be because I know you guys are all over the place. We're all over the place. <laughs> we love to meet and talk to new people, so please find us, contact us. We love to talk and chat. Yep, paranormalexpeditions.com. There you go. And you never know, too, when, when Tina's going to be on Twitter late at night oh my God. saying some funny stuff. So Tina is great. <laughs> she wears her heart on her sleeve, so just expect whatever I'm, she I'm feels. A, I'm at work about. some nights at the newspaper, and I have Twitter open, and I'll see some of the stuff I'm like, why are you up? I've had people it's like four in the morning. I'm I've like, had oh, people contact me. And why are you watching like, Footloose if you're up at four in the morning? The only reason I tweet is because of Tina's store. Like that's it. It's that's pathetic. it. For them. I'm like, I was like, oh my god, it's four a.m. and I'm still tweeting. I'm like, this is really bad. The sun's coming up, and I'm like, can't stop tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Us, us paranormal people, we're up late, so we're used to it. All right, thank you, girls, for joining us. Thank and you so much. Have a great thank you. Thank, thank, you so thank you very much. Girls. Oh, likewise. Thank you. PXP, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Wow, the crowd has dwindled. Yeah, baby. Hey, Donna. Donna. She's talking. I don't know if she wants to join us, but she's talking. She's hugging. I think she's getting ready to leave. All right, well, you know, and that's, I think it's unfair to some degree, the way that we judge the investigators for people. You're not even paying attention to me. Yeah, I'm paying attention to you. I'm trying to count the number of people still left. Uh, I don't know, but it's a it's still a pretty good party. That's for sure. Well, we got uh, roughly 27 people still here. All right. Okay. That's uh, well. Thank you for coming, hon. Thank you, everybody. You'll see on the camera there. There's Donna Lacroix. She's hugging Moniz, but I ran out of time to have her come on. Wow. Sorry. It's been a long time since I've seen a woman knock off your headphones. Sorry, we'll we'll have you come and we'll have you join us sometime for a full show sometime soon. All right. No 
problem. All right, no problem. Well, we'll do it again at some other time, all right? All right, have, have a good holiday. All right, take care. <laughs> that was a, a brief pop-on by Donald McCoy. Thank, thank you. All right, well, uh, yeah, things, things are, uh, are wrapping up here, and we've still got about 24 minutes of show left. Uh, you and I can fill that quite easily. We've done much longer. <laughs> well, uh, I'm amazed, too, that, uh, that we can pull this off with the technology that we have. I don't think I've pulled the stuff out of the box that we're using to broadcast tonight in, like, two years. Because ever since we made the move to Spooky TV with the webcams and everything, we haven't really had to, to yeah. pull out our board and our mics and all that stuff. Well, let's see if we can drag Andrew Lake up here, if Is he's he, paying attention. Andrew, come on up and join us. You know you're always part of Spooky. You don't really need we, the headphones. Yeah, but I look this, cool with the headphones. This on. table over here, by the way, guys, has been remarkably quiet tonight. I expected them to be the life of the party over here. What's going on? Not enough shots. I know what it is. Dave stopped drinking. That's why. That's why. <laughs> well, hello, Andrew. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Just got a uh, text from Stephanie Burke. And, and where is she tonight? She's at home having an awesome party, and we're missing out on that. Okay. One. We're here uh, on Spooky <laughs> well, South. Well, we're having an awesome Santa. party here, too. That's right. Santa Claus was here. Uh, yes, Bigfoot he was. Showed up. Yes. And uh, we even had Carl Johnson read uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. And out of those three, which one is the more real to you? Uh, Santa. Okay. Santa always took care of me. No offense, Carl. <laughs> so uh, I know that we've uh, we, we talked about this a little bit on the show recently, and we said that we can't say too much about this big case that you guys have been working on. Yeah. But uh, I, I know that things have been progressing to kind of an insane degree. Yes. Uh, over the last few months, and is is this something that's been taking up a lot of your time? Yes, a lot, a lot of my time. Uh, three and a half years I've been on this case. Wow. Um, it's it's one of those cases that you just can't believe everything that's fallen together on it. Probably the most important thing about it is the homeowner is absolutely the kind of person you want owning property that's haunted. Uh, anybody else would have packed their stuff and been gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lady never thought about the paranormal. Ghosts were never a part of her life. Uh, when she moved into the house, she had strange things happen, but she dismissed them. Uh, and as she put it, um, she said, I became a believer in the paranormal when my mother's false teeth that had disappeared three weeks earlier appeared in midair in front of me and fell on the bed wow. right in front of me. She said, that's when I realized I couldn't deny this anymore. And the activity has been absolutely crazy. And uh, it's a long, detailed story, but basically what it comes down to, the homeowner is haunted by people she's known in her, her past. She has people connected to her that have passed either through marriage, blood, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that seem to be around her. And the property itself has a long, uh, dark history in that part of Rhode Island. Western Rhode Island, for a long time, was considered to be like the Wild West. There was no law out there. Uh, you look at early newspaper articles from, from the 1800s, early 1900s, they talk about the crime in Situate and Foster, and that part of eastern Rhode Island, and they talk about it as like a godless land, there's no law enforcement, it's just it's out of control. And the more I looked into the area where this house is, it had quite a nefarious history. The road that runs right alongside this uh, street that this haunting is on was once called Horse Thief Lane. That's how bad the area was. And the spooky thing is, is the four independent spirit mediums that I've brought to the property all immediately get 
that they used to take people out into this woods and just dump their bodies. Hmm. And uh, one of the ghosts is a woman named Elizabeth. That's what we've identified through through um, spirit uh, communications. And I know a lot of people at home listening to this roll their eyes when they hear that. That's okay, but I don't. Um, she was just one of the many people that was stuffed out there. But apparently her spirit seems to be the dominant one. But this location has turned skeptics into believers. So you've got a confluence then of spirits that are attached to the location and some who are surrounding the homeowner separately trying to communicate and, yes and, and you're you've i mean are they in turmoil with one another or, or um, does it seem one, the, the funniest thing is is one of them is the homeowner's mom was alive when i met first met her a uh, real um, real character of a lady name name was ann and um she uh, was raised you know a catholic uh, italian catholic and uh ghosts aren't real you know they would that's how she was raised but she had experiences in the house when she moved in with her daughter. So she was in denial, but if you got to talk to her, she'd open up and admit to things. And she sat me down one night when I came over in a very authoritative way and said, how do we get rid of them? And I said, well, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get rid of them. I said, there's too much going on in this house. I think, I think we've got some things going on here that are pretty well-rooted and deep-seated with the property. Um, I said, but we're going to try and understand why they're haunting, see if we can identify the haunting, see if we can find the motivation. She says to me, well, when I die, I'm coming back here and I'm going to kick them all out. Anne died the same week my dad died three years ago. They died within days apart. Uh, and we strongly believe that Anne is back at the house kicking them out of the house. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, Anne-Marie said her mom used to do this shuffling thing with her feet when she used to scoot all the kids out of the house when she was younger. And they have heard that same scuffing sound going through the house. Uh, they've smelled her cologne. Um, they've actually heard her voice speak out in the house. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. But uh, the, the main thing that I'm concentrating on is this murder mystery. Uh, I uh, was with the homeowner uh, a little over a year ago. And she was telling about a bizarre sound she'd sometimes hear in the attic. There's no floor to the attic. It's just a joist with insulation. Very neat, tidy attic. No bugs, no signs of rodents, mm -hmm. no raccoons getting in. But she was hearing a sound that she could only describe like wind moving around in the attic. So I got up on a footstool and I popped the, the hatch to the attic. And I'm up there and I'm taking pictures. And a couple of times I thought I saw the shadows move at the back side of the attic. But, you know, I'm not sure. It could have been my eyes playing tricks on me. So I had a recorder going and I said out loud, I said, who are you? Why are you haunting Anne Marie? What do you want? And from the other side of the attic, and I caught it, this female voice says, please help me out. And at that point, I realized I was there to help somebody who was trapped in the condition they're in. And as I've said, four spirit mediums that I've brought there have told the same exact scenario of this woman's death. I contacted the people who built the house in 63 on this haunted land. They were very receptive to me. I was surprised. I thought they'd think I was a nut for calling them long distance from Rhode Island to talk about the house that they built. And uh, the husband said, I was never home much. I was always working. But my wife had experiences in that house, and I believe her. I'll put her on the line. She described the one ghost that she saw in the house, even though there was much activity. The one ghost she saw, she describes to a T the same ghost that has been seen by six other people. Wow. The spirit mediums had told me that when the man had brutally murdered his wife, Elizabeth, he wrapped her body in a bed sheet and then bullied one of his employees to help him dump the body out there in the woods in a depression and then throw rocks down on top of the body. Well, I'm talking to the woman and she's telling me the story about seeing this ghost in her bedroom 
and describes the guy the same exact way and said that he was carrying a bundle of sheets in his arms as if he was looking for a place to put them. Um, if that isn't spooky enough, I'm almost off the phone with them. I'm thanking them just so much for being so patient with me and understanding. And the husband goes, well, there's something else we should tell you. And I'm like, what? He goes, I'll let my wife tell you. She gets on the phone. She goes, well, the weird stuff didn't start happening in the house until my eight-year-old son found the human bones across the street. Whoa. And she goes, and I don't think he put them back where I told him. And uh, that's when the house started getting weird. And apparently Anne-Marie, the home, current homeowner, has found out that the house has had a reputation and everybody in this very quaint neighborhood has just ignored it. But Anne-Marie, once she met me and found how ferocious of a ghost hunter I am and I just won't let this go, we are damned and determined to come to some kind of you know uh, uh, resolve with this. But I've now got a nine-foot hole in the property. And uh, we found exactly what Tiffany Rice and Stephanie Burke and two other psychics said it would find eight feet down. A pile of rocks that don't belong there. They're all shaped. They're either flat, squared off, and one of them looks like a gigantic stone wagon wheel that was definitely chiseled at some point. And they're all stacked on top of one another. And this ghost Elizabeth says, I'm trapped in amongst these rocks. I'm in the clay, and water runs through here. And there's groundwater running right through where the rocks were. And I'm now in the clay, and I'm now down to where Tiffany and Stephanie feel that I'm going to find something left of her in the clay. And that's what she wants. That's all she wants. And her husband who killed her apparently is haunting the scene of his own crime. And he is the negative influence in the house. And we've had some kind of shocking things happen with him. So you're going to battle that at the same time? Um, I'm told he's, he's frightened of me. I, I'm totally intimidates me, and, and Elizabeth stands by my left whenever I'm there. A uh, quick story about Tiffany Rice when I brought her there. She'd only been there for about 10 minutes. She looks at me and goes, Andrew, were you ever touched on the left arm while you were here? And I said, well, I've been here for so long. Maybe something could have happened, and I ignored it. But I don't recall that. She goes, well, just, just remember that. So then when I brought Stephanie to the house, Stephanie is now picking up on this blonde woman named Elizabeth who apparently is in love with me and is excited that I'm there. And, but she's not telling Steph too much now. She hasn't told her what this is all about. And Steph looks down at the ground uh, for a few minutes and then looks up and she goes, she wants me to tell you, Andrew, that she did touch your left arm, but you didn't feel it. Do you know what that means? And I was just like, you know, the verification of it. But one Matt was involved in, very impressive. <laughs> uh, we caught a, a, a Class A EVP with Tiffany. She was in the backyard and it was videotaping her. And she goes, I'm getting the name Sally. And she stops in the middle of Sally and goes, Sarah? Does that sound right? Does Sarah sound right? And I go, I, I, at this point in time, I don't know of a character named Sarah yet with this house. She goes, well, hold on to that. So we brought stuff to the house, and Tiff was there. And we're having snacks because the homeowner is great for putting out snacks. <laughs> it's always a plus. And, uh, oh, Tiff- she's a Tiffany cook. was munching away at the snacks and um, had a cup of coffee to have with the snacks. And I was saying to Steph, I didn't want to lead her on. I said, now, we got an EVP of Sarah. I said, are you getting that as the name of this woman who who was killed here? Steph's going, I'm getting Elizabeth for some reason, but maybe I'm getting somebody else. I don't know. And Tiffany goes to chime in, but she's been chewing uh, um, cashews. So she goes to drink the, the cashews down. And as she's sipping her cup, as if the person's on top of the microphone of my recorder, this female voice goes, Jasmine. I mean it. Yeah, Mike Markowitz. Creepy. Mike Markowitz like flipped out when I played it for him. He was like, "Oh my god!" And um, 
we were trying to think, was well, that another name now? Now do we have another name, Jasmine? Well, we were doing a table tipping session, which is a form of seance, mm-hmm. and I had asked the most helpful ghost that came through that night, a guy named George. Which was um, an interesting coincidence. Yeah, was, which, yeah, I won't get into that because it's too long of a story, yeah. but um, I said, George, is, is Sarah connected to this, this house? And the table didn't move, and I go, George, is Sarah just here because the house allows for it? And the table tipped like, right up when I said that. And I go, okay, so she's not one of the cast of characters. And I'm thinking, she must have just been drawn to, t- to Tiffany. And all of a sudden, Matt goes, oh, wait a minute. George, Jasmine's not a name. He goes, we're talking about the plant, aren't we? And the table tips, yes. And Matt goes, okay. We're talking about Sarah being poisoned with Jasmine. She drank Jasmine bark, didn't she? And the table flips right up on Matt. Wow. And the fact that Tiffany was sipping the coffee when this voice comes through and goes, Jasmine. Well, it's a combination of, like I said, the liquid and her chewing on on the cashews yep. and stuff like that. It was that type of trigger. Yep. And I was going through because, you know, my years of work in toxicology. And right. I'm thinking, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Certain forms of Jasmine are highly toxic. You know, it's like... And it, it's a definite smell and things like that. And it, a jasmine tea, prep to one type of jasmine, is is not lethal. Mm-hmm. But prep the wrong way or with the wrong type, it is extremely lethal. Yeah, and Steph Burke looked up at the table and said, as soon as Matt got that response to yes, she said, I was told I was killed by a rival. So that's another thing I now have to research. Is there a Sarah in the town records who was poisoned and... Maybe the, I'm hoping one of the historians may know a story about a female rivalry where it led to you know a poisoning. It's just fascinating. And, and it sounds like a great case because you're able to bring in your own methods of investigation with the way that these women utilize their abilities. And the fact that you are getting verification on the research end of it, you know, you're going through these archives and, and finding the information and, and being able to verify what they're telling you. It just sounds like every time you go there, it must further advance your desire to oh, continue God, yeah. with that case. And, and, and the thing is, I've told Matt and Steph and Tiff and Mike Markowitz, if we succeed at this case, we're not going to get rich and famous, but it will validate a lot of what we do. And we right. know in our, our every fiber of our beings that we are approaching this field the right way, and we are using methods that work. And uh, like I said, this house has turned skeptics into believers. And it seems like you're getting a continuous... Uh, unfolding of the yes. layers of the story and yes. you're not hitting a brick wall like we so often do in investigations. It seems like it's all just waiting for you to open the next door and go into the next chapter. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, it just goes to show you how you can't just take things at surface value. Uh, Anne Marie has a room that she calls the closet room that she's basically just turned into her girl's closets, all her boots, all her dresses, all her, all her girly stuff. And um, she uh, got off the phone with me and, and announced that, hey, Andrew's coming over. And she heard a crash in the hallway. And somehow a carved, ornate, carved, ornate um, decoration along the top of a, a cabinet in that room looked like somebody grabbed it in the middle, snapped it into three pieces, leaving behind the two end pieces, and then threw the middle piece up the hallway. Now, that seemed kind of aggressive at the mention of my name. Later that week, same thing, got off the phone with me. She and her son hear a loud crash in that room. A dainty cabinet with glass doors filled with china and porcelain objects hanging on a heavy wire on an angled nail is found in the middle of the floor. 
The floor isn't dented, the glass isn't broke, none of the delicate items are broken, the nail is still in place, and the wire is in, in place. When I brought Tiffany into that room, she goes, do things get, like, knocked around and bumped and, like, banged and knocked over in this room? And Homer and I, we're trying to be, like, cigar store Indians. We don't want to influence it. We're like, yeah, kind of, sort of. She goes, yeah, you got a guy in here who's awful clumsy. He can't understand his own psychic energy. And he goes to touch things and just knocks them over like a like a like he's a klutz. So here I am thinking it was an aggressive reaction. And it was, uh, and it's yeah. this guy who's just a big clod. And he did something the other day. Uh, her grandson, Anne-Marie's grandson, was seeing somebody, two, uh, one and a half years old, and he's trying to verbalize that somebody's there. And this item just unhooked off the wall and swung down, and the item's on the shelf. Should have slid to the floor. They stayed on the shelf at an angle. Like something was holding them on the shelf. Anne-Marie walked up and just picked them up off the wall with no explanation why they were still hanging there and set them down. Later, she tried to demonstrate it and broke the items on the shelf. She to, <laughs> then she looked and says, there's just, there's just no way of it. But you know, What about talk, all the coincidences with that place? Oh, it's, just, it, it's, it's really funny. Matt actually <laughs> installed cable in this house 23 years ago. His first visit to the house, he comes around the corner with that look on his face. He goes, ready for this? I installed cable here 23 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, and the way Anne Marie got got the house. Now, now you're digging up the holes in the yard. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, uh, While you're there, can you fix the cable that you put in wrong the first? <laughs> no, Anne Marie shouldn't have even been able to get this house. It was so weird how it was sat in her lap at a time in her life where she really needed to have a home like this for her son and her mom. Um, it's just so many bizarre coincidences. How she found me is just another long story, but it's like we were all put together. Um, real quick one to tell you about uh, you know skeptics being turned into believers. My brother came up from Florida, and he was staying, they were over at another relative's house nearby, and someone brought up the fact teasingly, oh, Anne-Marie's house is haunted. Uh. So they all started ribbing her. So her brother goes, come on, let's go be the house, Anne-Marie. I want to hear the stories. Come on, I've never been in a haunted house. They're walking around. She's telling him the stories. He's like, come on, Anne-Marie, you're pulling my leg, pulling my leg. Well, they went to leave the house, and her nephew, her brother's son, was still in the house. He was in the bathroom. And they're outside in total darkness, no, no yard lights on, and they're waiting for him to come out of the house. Well, in the dark, they thought Ricky walked out of the house and started to walk down toward the driveway. They all started to follow Ricky. It wasn't Ricky. Ricky was still in the house. This guy had no legs. Wow. Was hovering over the ground and disappeared right in front of him. Her skeptical brother turned with his jaw on the ground, profusely apologized, and the next day bought her a digital camera and a digital recorder and said, you and that guy, Andrew Lake, I got to catch stuff. He came up and dug the hole all the way up from Florida because he believes so much in it. Uh, it definitely sounds like a, a fascinating case. Hopefully someday you can come forward with a lot of the details and, and oh yeah, and we can present it to the audience and, and uh, share. And we, could, we could make a whole episode, I'm telling you. Because where you're saying, you know, it seems to be a great example of verifying your methods. Yes. I think that's more important than anything else to be able to show that not only does this approach work, but this approach works, and they can work with each other. So it's one of those things where you can not only share a, a phenomenal story, but share a unique approach for investigating, yes, too. Yes, yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right about that. It, it's going to be a layered story. The other thing I like about this case is it gives every one of the little uh, flavors that uh, most hauntings do and does a lot of the same little, um, for lack of a better term, Effects. Yes. You, you know what I well, mean? Look at the, the case of visitation hauntings. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say this on the radio. My dad visits the house, my late father. Really? There's a boy with autism that visits the house. 
he talked to my father. And when they asked, who is this guy, Art, they didn't put two and two together. Who's this man, Art? What does he want? He looked right at him and said, Andrew, please, Andrew. Wow. So even my dad is showing up and helping at this location. Your dad showed up in a couple of different places. Oh, like, yeah. Like the studio. You and oh, I, yeah. I know that. Yep. Yeah, it was just. He actually, we actually heard my father uh, before we started an episode of Thirty Odd Minutes. <laughs> that night, clearly heard it. Well, and then he stopped by uh, when we were in Wareham too that night. That's right, the table tipping. That's what convinced me to bring Steph and the table to the Situate Rhode Island case because you know I thought well maybe we can get information that we can't get through other techniques, and uh, we were we were proven right that there is a dominant ghost in the house that tells people to keep quiet, and that's what we were encountering. But. Uh, I wouldn't have found that out if I didn't think outside the box and invite Stephanie and her table. And uh, the homeowner was absolutely blown away by it. I mean, the table crawled up into her lap. <laughs> you know, how do you explain that? And, and Andrew being somebody who, when we first started talking years ago, when he first started joining the show, you know, it took a little chiseling away at his, uh, at his exterior to allow a medium to, or a psychic to even be involved. And, and now to see the, the way that you've incorporated them into your investigating, it's just fascinating. Well, the, for me, it was just that I could never find anybody with that ability. But it's just, you know, the more you do this, the more you meet people. That's how mm-hmm. I eventually met Matt, met you. And I have eventually have met spirit mediums that I know aren't lonely people who wear crushed velvet and amulets and, <laughs> and think they're psychic. They are, there are legitimate psychics out there. And it wasn't that I never believed in the ability mm-hmm. because I, as a young boy, I had some women in my life But you felt spooky. that they didn't necessarily belong in the investigation well, process. Well, no, because I've always, been a, I've always been a fan of Hans Holzer. Say what you will about the guy as a kid. I always liked his... You know, approach. Keep, yeah, his yeah. old school approach. So it wasn't that I wasn't uh, open to that. It was that, please help me find somebody that I can work with. And I have since found four four ladies. Why is it always women? I don't know. But four ladies. Oh, well, uh, you always attract the ladies. Rather, well, rather, rather good-looking ladies, too. <laughs> and uh, their their ability just has absolutely just blown me out of the water. And it's and it, it's been a huge help. Because why? Because psychics can help the homeowner dealing with it on an emotional level. Explain why this is happening. All right. Well, we look forward to doing a whole episode on that somewhere down the line. But that about does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with another great discussion about the paranormal. We want to thank everybody out here, the live audience at Patriots Bar and Grill, Oddfest 2012. We want to thank Matt back there in the studio, too, for putting us on the air. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, Hey, Matt, what's your favorite kind of beer? All right, good. We'll all drink a Bud Light in your honor, then. No, I'm just kidding. We'll get you some. Thank you for your help. And, And thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, if you want to check out the show, we're on iTunes. We're on YouTube. And uh, thank you again for all the many hundreds of thousands of downloads over the last few weeks. So that does it for this week's show. Uh, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, for Andrew, Jeff, everybody Yay! here at Oddfest, we want you all to stay spooktacular.